Hi there, this is Stephen from the podcast Who Am I? Um, just a sensitivity warning, today's subject is very complex and can be very difficult at times to talk about and to hear about. Um, if you're not feeling in the right frame of mind to listen to a discussion obviously about depression, then we encourage you to just wait until you feel you are. Um, also, we have a few technical issues where the uh, screen freezes a few times, just, you know, technology the way it is. So bear with us and I hope you enjoy the podcast. And today's episode is going to be discussing mental health and how it affects us sort of personally and just in day-to-day life. So yeah, we'll guess we'll start the discussion off just by really talking about, our, I guess, our own experiences. Um, yeah, we've both had plenty of experiences over the years. This is uh, the type of thing that can last half a lifetime <laughs> or more, I don't know. Um, it often feels like several lifetimes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it can make things uh, harder to go through. But uh, we also want to get to the positives uh, because there yes. are some. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think everyone has hard things in their life. And for some people, or for a lot of people, it's mental illness. I think more people than we often realize are affected because it's something that everyone likes to keep quiet. Um, there's this expectation for us to be always in a good mood, always approachable, always ready to talk to people, ready to work, always have enough energy. At least that's what it can feel like uh, when those things are no longer available. There is a lot of expectation. And I find it very strange. Like I've always like um, been confused by this um, measurement of ability for like us to even again work or do things. It's measured by the person or people that can do the most. So for example, if someone can work for 12 hours or do some or go running for ages, um, actually it's more of the work stuff, then everyone else is expected to be the same. But biologically, we're all so different. Like we're all so like, the variation is unreal. And therefore, why do we expect that everyone's going to be able to measure up the same high standard? It's very strange. I've always been fascinated by that. And it always affects like, well, I always, again, get confused because not everyone can do exactly the same as everyone else. Um, Maybe schooling is a big factor uh, that we all get get graded the same way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But then some differences are made, uh, like some schools would be more um, okay with with someone having um, dyslexia, for example and then treat them slightly different in, in how they're graded or what courses they go to. So there, there is some... Uh, it's progress. Yeah. yeah, there's some adaptability there. But yeah, it's difficult. Uh, and another reason I, I, you just reminded me of is the usually the younger we are, the more simplistic our worldview is. And we keep learning, uh, especially when we're small children. We just soak up a lot of knowledge about the world. Uh, we're a big sponge. And then if if we keep it up, if we do the work, we can keep uh, adaptable 
and change our perspective of the world and how it works, how other people work. And that helps uh, keep down the expectations we have for other people and probably ourselves as well. You know, it, it's, it would be nice to treat everyone individually, but we always yeah. make um, rules, uh, abstractions away from the reality. It's, we, we create this model in our mind of the world and of what people are, and sometimes that then creates an expectation for everyone to be uh, a, the pattern that you have built in your mind. And mental health just de defies all that, like patterns and expectations and whatever, because again, it's so different from each individual person to person. And we all have, you know, we can have similar, we can bracket it under depression or anxiety or uh, OCD or bipolar. There's like many different things. But again, quantifying it from individual to individual is very difficult. Because yeah. again, we're all very different. The science is still pretty young. Um, a doctor does not have a lot of uh, symptoms to go on. There are tests with, um, um, what are they called? Those those things stuck to your head for... Um, oh, like uh, le uh, Medusa. For an, hmm? uh, for an EEG, uh, for example. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that way they can measure epilepsy. But, yeah, a lot of things cannot be measured um, materially, objectively. And so there are surveys, there are forms that, where you can um, fill in your personal perspective of what you're going through, and that might help, but it is subjective. <laughs> um, I don't know, just personally, uh, when I get to know someone after a while, I will pick up on some things that I associate with depression or, I don't know, isolation, you know, all these small signals that you notice after a while, uh, especially yeah. when you've been, uh, you know, dealing with the matter yourself or with someone close to you from day to day, and then you become more adept at picking up on those signals. And I think that's one of the most sure ways to, to know what someone is going through from the outside. Yeah, it's it's difficult to um, notice a shift sometimes when you're around people that have depression. Um, for example, when it gets you just used to it, and if they take a bit of a, a dive and feel worse, then it's hard to notice because you're kind of like, okay, it's depression. They've been getting through it; it becomes normal. But the examples of like uh, Robin Williams and Chester Bennington, uh, who's a lead singer for Lincoln Park who was lead singer for Lincoln Park, they um, were known to have you know, depression in their personal lives and their families. And they brought joy and laughter and goodness to people's lives. But on the surface, you know, on the surface, they showed all that happiness and everything. But inside, they obviously were really suffering and in turmoil and led to obviously they were taking their own lives. And it's difficult to notice when if you're around it a lot um, people take that dip but so again that measurement going back to the point is that, that measurement is very difficult you know it's again as you say it's a personal thing that each individual has and it's not like a 
it's, a, it's still a physical thing in many ways, but it's not like a broken leg or um, like a lot of classed as physical conditions that are uh, easily defined. Yeah. I imagine someday um, we will be uh, better at physically uh, telling the the symptoms. Um, you know, brain chemistry is uh, not yet well uh, researched, but we have some some theories about um, neuro. What are they called? Neuroscience, I guess. Uh, no, the the receptors. Um, oh, okay. The, the the gap where uh, serotonin jumps from Neurons. one cell to another. I don't know. Yeah, we we have some knowledge, uh, some theoretical mod uh, models of the activity between neurons, the, the serotonin, and the other um, things that jump from cell to cell. But it is hard to measure and not clear how to classify someone's condition from that. Um, but we wanted to get more into the emotional, social, everyday part of it anyway. Um, yeah. How... I have a question for you. Yeah, go okay. on. I guess, when did you first realize that you were struggling with depression? I don't know if that's too personal or not, but... Um... Hmm. No, that's fine. Uh, it's really difficult. Well, it was really difficult for me to judge when I was depressed. Uh, because I was so used to it. I thought it was the yeah. normal thing. It was just That's... maybe uh, uh, obvious that I was not as uh, physically active as others, not as excitable by sports or food, you know, things that give you excitement in general in, in, yeah. for people. Um, but I think you have to really hit some wall before you can be sure that you're going through uh, a mental uh, illness condition. Yeah. Um, and I think that was when I was 10 for the first time, when our, my family moved to England. And it was really difficult for me to adapt. I did find friends. I could speak the language. But I missed a lot of things about Germany. And it just made me more sad than it should, or than you would expect. It's a but, big change. Yeah. yeah, but I adapted and it was fine for a while. And then again, when I was 14 or 15, I noticed that some little things that people do bother me. And then someone who I spoke to uh, just voluntarily helped me and my parents to recognize that it's OCD. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of managed. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable with therapy, so we left it. And then I came back at a later age. And so it, it went in cycles like that. But every yeah. time it got worse until I really could not do any work, could not focus on anything, some days could not get out of bed, then it becomes really clear. Yeah, that's the point where it comes obvious, isn't it? Was it similar for you that it was really... Uh, a shock or a surprise yeah it, it's again as you say it's hard to sort of pinpoint but like so as a child i was happy-go-lucky like i i was literally like known for being a bit of a hurricane of just playing football running around 
uh, reading odd book here and there, but just being, I guess what you'd call, again, I hate the word, but normal active child. But then when I hit my sort of, you know, hit puberty at you know, 12, 13, I just noticed it was a massive sort of dip in just um, ability. Well, it was just, again, it was just like, so it was, I guess highs and lows. So I'd be happy about something. And then the next day I would just literally want to die. Like, like the compulsion to just end my life um, would just kick in. It's almost like this constantly depressive thoughts of what's the point, um, the world's so cruel, blah, blah, blah. Like stuff that just would be depressive. Um, and I think, you know, I, I struggle to relate, I guess like all teenagers probably, all humans to a lot of things. And it just left me feeling very lonely, um, like super alone. Um, and I think I turned to music for my sort of, to get help me get through things. So I think, yeah, I think about, to answer the question, I think about, yeah, about 12, 13, sort of maybe 14, I realized that there was definitely um, a depression. Um, but I think I hid it pretty well as well. Because again, we get, we get used to masks, we put on our masks. So I think it was obvious that I was into, again, rock music, metal music, these kind of things that people associate with often, um, I guess, being depressed, but sort of normal um, society associated with that. But that made me happy. Like, this is the, this is the, the interesting thing is that because the music um, was relatable to, I didn't feel so alone. So therefore, um, I actually felt happier um, because of that. Um, was it about the lyrics or... Uh... Kind of the, yeah. the rebellious tone. Yeah. Like, again, deep, deeper thinking. Like I said, a, lot, a lot of the, I guess, pop music is very shallow. So then I, like, found my big brother, you know, it's a typical cliche. Big brother gives you, puts on music, and it becomes your sort of go-to. And yeah, it was Metallica, Offspring, uh, Slipknot at the time, Linkin Park. And it was just a corn. And they just, they were just bands that were just... Again, I was, I was into extreme things, so I enjoyed the heaviness. Um, it was so different to what I was used to. But as you say, the lyrics were just, they, they were things that, um, yeah, often just made me feel the emotion in a relatable way. So I'd feel depressed. They would talk, talk about depression, or they'd talk about suicide, or they'd talk about being angry. And it's just things that I was like, okay, that's how I feel. I didn't have anyone I could talk to about it. Mm, um, makes sense. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that's the point. And then you get again the weird way you get. I got used to it. I got. I knew. I started to understand the depressive spell. So if I was feeling or um, very depressed, I just knew that's what was happening, and I guess pushed through it, and it became the normal. It became just part of my everyday life. Um, and again, most people would be like, oh, I didn't realize you were so like, if I, you know, if I talked about it to someone, oh, we had no idea. You know, we know you listen, like, we know you project the rebellious um, surface image, but you're always so, you know, happy and uh, look so positive. And it's amazing that you can project that on the surface, but inside be like so just in oblivion and turmoil and 
feel hopeless, I guess, because that's again what, what depression can be. Um, yeah, it can isolate you um, because you might feel that you're the only one going through this or that there's something wrong with you and then you can feel ashamed for it. And so I enjoyed uh, going to groups uh, who, who share this. Uh, I don't think there, they were always available but in my late 20s, I found a, a group that helped me like that. Or I've also done a bit of group therapy, and, and that's helpful uh, because everyone is different in how they experience mental illness, but there is uh, more of an understanding and less um, prejudice and expectation for you. So um, that's kind of a. Well, the unique... emotions the same. Say again. The like the again this, the emotion is the same. So even though the circumstances around things may be different, often it's the thing that links us is being able to meet people that can relate and understand to a degree the emotions we're going through. Often in uh, I found and I think I've talked about this before in the podcast, but often uh, you get people that say, oh, you, you can never say you understand. In a therapy situation, the therapist should never say they understand because they don't. And it's like, well, actually, no, they may understand the emotional side of it. They may not understand the circumstances. And when I've been talking to friends and stuff, it's when they, if, they've ha if they're having struggles, and I like turn to them and talk and say, Look, they, no, I understand the emotion and how that's going through, they feel less alone. It's a very important thing to feel less alone. Alone is being feeling alone is one of the biggest sort of triggers or struggles with any mental health thing and the moment you kind of get a sense of not being alone i think it takes a bit of a weight off so you finding a group that you can actually you know chat to and stuff is is wonderful to be able to help yeah you did mention that about uh, empathy and being able to feel what other people are feeling even though you might not be in the exact same circumstances as them in a previous episode, but the emotions that come with mental illness can be different or more intense in a way. Yeah, so um, what words can you use to describe them? I mean, the word depression gets misused a lot, like, oh, I was so depressed all day, but now I'm fine. Um, that could be real depression, but often people just use it for when they're down a bit when they're um, disappointed. So, yeah. but there is a medical use, obviously. Yeah, again, the measurement. So when, when does it turn from being um, down and um, feeling unhappy to then being depressed? That's, again, that's the, the difficult way of, that doctors struggle with, I guess, to try and measure. Yeah, I, I, I find it to be uh, literally depressive sometimes in the sense that there's something pressing, you know, there's a pressure uh, in my head. And I don't know how that works physically. If there is air pressure, if there's blood pressure, I don't know. Um, what other things there could be? There's some electrical phenomenon going on. Yeah. But it also manifests in my shoulders. So the feeling of there being a burden on my shoulders, 
I guess, comes from the tension in my shoulders when I'm trying to protect myself metaphorically as though there were someone chasing me with a stick or something. Maybe that's some instinct we have uh, when we feel um, endangered, threatened. So that's that's another word I, I like to use to describe uh, how I feel. And then just lots of irrational thoughts, including fears of uh, dying. I think that's a common one. Or going yeah. to hell if if you're raised in a religion. Uh, okay. You know, just just these these worst fears that you have that that, that you might experience in your nightmares uh, will appear so much more realistic and immediate. Yeah, no, definitely they do. Um, again, again, you just feel overburdened by everything. Like everything, everything manifests itself a lot stronger, as you say. And I think motivation is one as well. Like to be able to mm -hmm. actually do things um becomes very difficult um even simple tasks um become like that's a, a clear sign i think that you're struggling with depression because again a lot of people don't realize this is the thing is a lot of people go through depression and they they kind of just push through and push through even though things are a lot harder it takes them a while to realize what's actually going on and so it's it's important to try and make people aware i guess mainstream culture what these things are so they can actually receive the help yeah um, i found that i'm afraid of disappointing someone say an employer or a, a parent and then i will try to hide my uh, feelings because of that because i want to uh, fulfill the expectations the other person has um but the, the paradox thing is that they're actually more prepared than you think to be understanding, uh, even if they may not have gone through anything similar personally, but to just treat you more carefully, yeah. more respectfully. I, I, think, I think people are capable of being careful and, and friendly in, if they know that there's a need. But first, you need to tell them because, like you said earlier, a lot of us hide what we're going through and do so successfully. <laughs> a, th a therapist will probably pick up on these signals a lot quicker. But well, the depression yeah. itself makes it feel like you can't tell people, so mm -hmm. you feel like a weakness or that you're you're not good enough or that you're failing, and therefore you don't because you think you're going to be judged and think that you'll be letting them down, as you say, disappoint them and stuff. When, as you say, it's quite the opposite. Often people are willing to help because they care for you and um, want what's best for you. Um, but it's again, it's hard to take that first step. That first step is quite difficult. And the opposite can happen too, that someone wants to help you. But since they don't know what you need, what would actually help you, they're, they're very likely to do something that is not helpful, that could even be counterproductive and put more pressure on you. And then all you want is distance from that person. So, yeah. uh, but, but, but then if you're the affected one, you often don't know yourself what you need. <laughs> and so the, the common thing for me is just rest, 
just leave me alone and let me sleep and then I'll be better afterwards, more approachable, yeah. more in a, in a better mood. But when it's a person I see regularly, maybe I can figure out something with them where I can say I'm in a bad mood or I'm having one of those days and then they know how to treat me differently. But that's something that, that takes time and that you just need to figure out. Well, people tend to be one of two things. They tend to be fixers or listeners. Mm. So one person tends to just listen and you know, let the per like someone talk and work through it themselves. And then other people tend to want to just like be proactive, give you the advice that may or may not help or be worse or actually might be the right thing. But again, it all depends on the individual and the conversation going on and that kind of th stuff. But that tends to be what I've found. Um, and at any given time, it could be the right or wrong thing. It's so difficult. Mm -hmm. So one person that you're talking to that maybe has depression or anxiety or OCD, um, again, actually it's a bit more complex in terms of trying to find things to help and assist with it. But with depression and anxiety, there are many, many ways, like both medication or um, cognitive behavioral therapy and different therapies um, that can assist. And it's trying to be able to talk when you're talking to an individual, um, signpost them, I guess, listen, obviously, but do both, I guess, listen, make sure they know that they're, they're cared for. And it's going to like, you know, um, that they're not just being brushed aside as, oh, just get over it, get on with it, because that's an attitude that happens. Um, and then signposted, I guess, um, to, again, doctors, um, different things. Again, meditation is one that happens a lot these days. Talk about um, mindfulness, mm. these kind of things. Um yeah, there's no shame in, in going to uh, a regular general practitioner or a psychotherapist just to figure out if you are uh, dealing with such a condition um, so that you can give it the proper attention. Another method that I like to use is reading self-help books. Um, it They may not answer every question you have. Um, obviously, you can have a dialogue with them like, like with a doctor, but... Uh, for me, I, I love to absorb information and learn a lot. So it's a, it's a good way for me to uh, reduce that uh, uncertainty and that, um, I don't know, feeling of being overwhelmed. So, uh, yeah, a combination of, of medicine therapy and, and books and meditation and it is good. A combination is usually better than, than any of them by themselves. And what has been bad for your um, healing process? One thing I can think of and that also others have told me is trying to search the internet for advice <laughs> by other people who have been through something similar, you know, non-professionals. Have you done that before? Um, yeah, a little bit. I've been quite lucky to find people that actually I can just chat to and again, the internet's a strange, like an interesting one because again, it tends to just be messaging. So often that works for people, often messaging backwards and forwards. I know there are a lot of communities where it can help often do the opposite and it just becomes a cesspool of people um, 
feeding off each other's depression rather than helping each other's. That can mm-hmm. happen. Um, or, but I've been very lucky to find people that, like. One way how sorry, can backfire as, uh, also is when uh, when you ask or when when you read online about different medicines and oh, okay, how people yeah. have experienced them, and they'll they'll tell you their their most terrible experiences, and you don't read all the good experiences that happen to people. You know they're less likely to be there like, yeah. in the same thread or or website, and so you will become afraid of medicine, or at least there's a, a tendency for that. I, I I was always that way. Like again, kind of a bit of a jump back a little bit away from the, I guess, discussions of things. But medic- medicine was always something that, um, like medication, was always something that I didn't want. And whenever I did try it, it didn't work. So, mm. I mean, my first experience I think was my first year at university. I was having massive depression, and they put me on um, basic medication, and didn't do anything. Like it just didn't help so that immediate response in my brain was well medication doesn't help what's the point um and just left it and then over the years tried different ones still didn't help and yet now i found the right one and it helps and it keeps the a lot of the anxiety sort of quieter it doesn't you know it doesn't fix it hasn't fixed it in terms of made it go away but it's manageable and it allows me to function relatively um well um in and not be overburdened by the depression. As I say, it's like a dial down, it quietens the um, thoughts, compulsions, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. And now I'm constantly being like, okay, keep trying with the medication, like be careful. Cause again, they can have extreme effects. Um, I've had situations where, again, there's been a lot of negative side effects with other medication. But once that happens, stop, like go to the doctor, make sure you balance it all. And then try maybe try something else because um, there are plenty out there, and some work for some people, and some don't work for others. You know, it can be frustrating uh, how much time this this process takes. Yes. Uh, I know of someone who had to try several uh, different uh, medications. Uh, I think there were SSRIs, uh, selective yes. serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, and there is a wide variety, so that that's a it's a good thing. So that hopefully there's something there for you, but it's it also means that you might have to go through several be- before you find the one that works for you, and you might have to go through a painful phase um, because of all the side effects that often come with them. So this friend had to try several different SSRIs until he stopped puking, for example. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. I mean, I, I had stomach cramps the first three weeks that I took my medicine, but after that, yeah, yeah, even in the nights sometimes. Uh, but after that, I finally, you know, after three weeks, I felt some of the good effects, um, which was similar to what you described, you know, that my brain became more flexible and then more amenable to psychotherapy and self analysis um because yeah it's common for your thoughts to go around in circles and never reach any conclusion yeah um, one thing that i've i guess away from medication that i find that helps is distraction like if, if we jump to anxiety for example um as a mental health condition that 
when a say example a panic attack kicks in because i've had to deal with that for a number of years as well in my life um the fear response kicks in and it's it kind of it can kick in straight away and you have a massive fight or flight response and you know you feel like you're dying like it's like a attack condition where you your body just goes into absolute panic mode but if sometimes it's gradual you can feel it coming on and often your brain just needs to be distracted so that it can calm down and move away from the anxiety and i do that like um with a lot of people like a few friends that have anxiety so um when it's they know it's kicking in and stuff we just go online and play computer games like it literally just causes them to be distracted enough to settle the, the coming on panic attack again that's hard to do when you're out and about for example if you're in a situation in the community um but there are psychotherapies there are ways to uh push against anxiety so not to i guess a, a personal example is i really had to push against the i guess connections in my brain that were triggering attacks, like the no confidence scared to go outside scared to be around people um all those fear patterns had been developed over the course of a year or two and then i had to again it's a personal experience and it may help some people it may not help others i push push myself to slowly get, go out in my own time little baby steps uh went to a board games group um got to know a few people and over the course of months and years gained loads of confidence uh, de- i guess i call it deprogramming deprogrammed it de- broke those patterns in my brain of being afraid. i still get everybody a little bit nervous um a little bit anxious but i just go well i've come this far um i can i've done i've done the hard work as such and push through men pains it i think a lot of times fear response if we listen to them they get stronger and stronger i think um just again my own sort of understanding of it so let's say we go out there's loud noises that we don't like if we go away from them straight away the brain then strengthens that thought that every time it's a loud noise we mm-hmm. must run away from it i don't know what your sort of views are if you've experienced anxiety like that before or anything like that well yeah i recognize uh the concept you're talking about i have other triggers that are I don't know, sometimes just even inside my head, not even something from the outside, but it's a mix of both. And yeah, yeah, the fight or flight response kicks in because uh, your brain associates something with with an actual uh, threat for your life. And as you say, it could just literally be a thought. It could be a thought about something. It doesn't have to be an outside response. That's often the case with anxiety. It's in your your mind has a thought. And then when you do flee the situation, like you said, uh, avoiding that uh, noise, for example, then... Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, to run away from it. It's, it's, it makes sense to do that. But you confirm the bias, and so you strengthen the anxiety. And the opposite is confrontation. And I remember uh, when I first could no longer work uh, because of anxiety, I said, I will no way will, ever, will I ever try uh, confrontation therapy. But then with time, you know, several years time, I realized that it's not just the, the most effective 
uh, treatment. It might even be the only effective treatment for me. Uh, we said medicine can, can alter your brain, but it's not a, a solution. It's just something that will make it more um, changeable. But as soon as you stop the medication, you will pretty much go back to the way you were before, maybe even worse, unless you did something in the meantime. Work, working with someone, working by yourself, but you know, changing your thought patterns, your beliefs. And by, by beliefs, I mean psychological beliefs, not necessarily religious beliefs. All those those um, misconceptions about what is actually a threat. Yeah, I would agree. Well, again, this is our experiences, so there might be other other people might have different opinions. Sure, but I would totally agree that the only thing that I found to help is yeah, a bit of medication that gives you a bit of armor, and then going and doing. You have to just act. You have to find a way. Whether again, it's through mindfulness, whether it's through um, as a bit. Again, we could do all these different things. You don't have to just pick one. But as you say, the exposure, I guess I call it exposure therapy. You called it what? Confrontation therapy? I don't know what the actual definitions I, are. I know I, why. No, you're right. You have the official name and I translated it, okay. it straight from German. <laughs> okay. Again, I, I don't, the thing is, the problem is I don't read, I don't tend, I just listen to some things from time to time and just pick up on terminology. But I don't focus on if it's the right terminology or not. So I just, to me, exposure therapy kind of makes sense. If it has mm -hmm. what it is, then that's lucky that. That's what it's called. Um, and yeah, and again, it's all in our own time, in our own space, like our own, as you say, baby steps is why I always say to people, yeah. like if, if you start to feel a bit anxious and okay, see how it goes, don't immediately run away, see how it goes. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's your brain then, if you tell yourself that's a success, that you've stayed for longer than maybe you would have, firm that success, go away from the situation and be like, yeah, well done, I, I made it today, I made it this far. And then the next day or in a week or whatever, see if you can do it again. And then go, yeah, well done, success. It doesn't have to constantly be a pushing forwards until you're ready. Um, yeah. There was many, many, what could be classed as failures on my part. Like I would go to the board game group, have a massive panic attack, go home and be crying and like chest wanting to explode or feeling like it's going to explode and all that kind of panic attack stuff. But I would tell myself over and over again that you did it, you went there. Like that it was a massive thing. And that itself really helped to, over time, make it a lot easier because I didn't focus on, oh, it was a failure. Because it could be measured as a failure if that's the way you view it. I didn't actually stay for the whole thing. But because I measured it as a success, that I actually got there, I left the house, even though I had to come home, because I measured it as a success, it changed it in my brain to be okay. Yep, that's true. Um, something that can also help with this um, method is making notes of various signals. So one one thing I would write in that situation is I made it to the group. Um, yeah. And then you could also measure how many minutes you managed to be there until you felt you had to go. Um, you can write about other things you, you could measure, um, preferably in, in a quantitative way. So how many hours I spent in bed today, or how many emails or phone calls I managed to do this week, things like that. Because that way you can objectively see your development over days and weeks. And yes. if you don't, you might go through something that I did over and over, and that was uh, the negative filter, that whenever you look back, 
when you're depressed and, and look back into oh, your past, okay, you yeah. only remember the bad things. And when you look forward into your future, you're pessimistic. So that's that's something that, that depression usually does for you. But then when someone tells you, but no, uh, think of all these great things that you've done or experienced, all these reasons to be happy, it, it doesn't, it's not uh, convincing. But if it no. comes from yourself in the in the form of a diary, maybe, then you can't argue with that. Yeah, it's a very good way. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Never, I've never used that, but that's a very, very sensible way to... There are even uh, apps that, that will help you, yeah. uh, remind you and ask you these these questions about how bad, or from, from a scale from 1 to 10, how bad was your anxiety today, stuff like that. Yeah. So there are ways to help yourself. Because um, again, go sorry, ahead. depression and stuff and anxiety and all that, it takes away hope often it gives despair but it's realizing that there is hope that there is a way to there are ways to get through this like that's the sort of message i try to tell people is again it may not feel that way because again it's one of the most patronizing things to, to say when you're going through depression is that oh it'll be okay and you're like at the time it feels like nothing ever is going to be okay mm -hmm. but it's like i think if it's repeated enough i think it does kind of like hit the subconscious a little bit maybe and help hopefully but just that through our my own experiences that um yeah um getting there again it's tough but it's it's so much better than what it was and there is so much hope for the future um again as um i guess as culture starts to understand it more as well because again we're going through a process of understanding within mainstream culture um and another celebrity passed away recently um caroline flack she would, did like reality tv shows and stuff hmm. and there's been a massive movement because she, obviously she had like the depression and took her life and to try and stop the media and paparazzis being so cruel and in, uh, invasive is that my word like just getting into people's private lives and stuff um, and there's a lot of legislation trying to move forward, I think, hopefully soon to make that a thing. So it's Is so sad. That it has to, yeah, in the UK. It's mm -hmm. so sad that it has to be like the catalyst is something so sad as a loss of a life. Um, I wish we could go through these experiences. Like, again, I wish mainstream culture would figure it out without all this loss. But it seems to be the way that these things go at the moment it takes these things to move the understanding forward or get it into mainstream um that actually we can change things and we can get better um and we can um help others because again a lot of the experience we go through we'll go through it somebody will help us or things will help us and then we'll meet somebody else that's going through a similar situation we used to go through or are currently going through and the wisdom that we have gained can be passed on yeah, I remember being afraid of uh, speaking to anyone because of some negative experiences I had. And then when someone did treat me with enough uh, respect and just, you know, humility, not, not believing that they could do for me what I couldn't, uh, I, I slowly realized, okay, it's not as dangerous as I thought to uh, put myself out there. Um. The, our listeners can probably tell that we have come a long way 
since we're able to speak in this way at all. This wouldn't have been possible several years ago for me, or just a few years. So, do you ever get angry when you look back and think, oh, so many years of my life were stolen? Um, or do you somehow manage to incorporate your experiences in your life and your your story, your identity? Um, there are times when I get angry. There are times when like, I, I get frustrated and wish that things could have been different. But there are just little moments of, again, the depression or like feeling extra down. Majority of the time, I see it as a positive that I've been through these experiences. Again, at the time when you go through them, it's hell. But afterwards, when you make it and you... Times where I nearly didn't make it. There are times when it was so bad that, yeah, I nearly... Um, I mean, I was in a mental health hospital for two months at one point because it was so bad. Mm -hmm. um, but I look back and a lot of it... I, 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 in fact, all of it, I wouldn't change. I, I am who I am today because of these experiences. And I love who I am today. It took a long time to get to that point where I could love myself and say those kind of things and be positive about all these things we we give negative and positive definitions but actually they just they just are it's just part of life and it's up to us to define them and i i try to own them I, we use that term in society a lot these days where i try to own the situations and realize that i can use them for good i can use them to benefit my own life these experiences and do better in i guess my kindness towards people and my uh, understanding of a people again that can connect me to and make build strong connections and friendships like we have you know um right. and i think yeah moments of frustration anger but most of the time i'm i manage to see it as something that it is just it is and it's up to me what i do with it i guess yeah. how about you um, I have several thoughts on the topic. I'm trying to sort them. Um, I think the frustration and the anger with not leading the life that you wanted mm. comes from having an ideal picture of what your life should be like. And where does that come from? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, it comes from comparing myself to others or the expectations that other people have for me and realizing that, oh no, it didn't go that way, so there must be something wrong with me, or I must be a bad person. Those are thoughts that I have uh, yes, from time yeah. to time. And so it helps me not to compare myself to others. It helps me to get to know, when I get to know others personally and realize that everyone has difficulties and pain, and there's no use in comparing yourself. Um, I mean, there is use in making measurements for, for science and, you know, becoming aware of what's going on, obviously. But thinking of yourself as less valuable than someone else because they managed to uh, be more successful with the opposite sex or with working, uh, with money, just establishing themselves in certain ways that you would have liked to by a certain age. Um, of course, yeah that's counterproductive uh, and so yeah we need to write our own stories and yeah and mental illness is part of my story it's not something that i'm finally waiting to finish so that i can resume my story 
It is my story. And it's not, all, it's not all I am. It doesn't define me in every way, but it is a huge part of my life. Like you said, I, I try to own it. Yeah. That's, and that's a perfect sort of conclusion to, to end on, I think, actually, because we, as you say, define ourselves uh, by success of getting big how we are with um, women, um, jobs, where it's not, it's not about that. It's, you know, we'd love it would be nice but it's it's a journey of the self like we do with this podcast the who am I and what you say really just resonated inside me of just like yeah that's exactly how it is so I hope we could spread some hope that there is some purpose to what we go through that it's not all bad that it doesn't have to end bad um yeah it it has certainly uh given me more compassion and empathy um as well that's a big plus Definitely. and we just don't choose what we go through in this life so we might as well be more open and not hold ourselves to the expectations we got from somewhere <laughs> yeah. so thank you that was a good discussion yep. thank you as well